So welcome to the Detour podcast. Uh, today I've got a very special guest who uh, I believe he's Australia's greatest uh, uh, ever all-rounder and um, one of our greatest cyclists all-round. Uh, he is just a superstar. Stewie O'Grady, um, gold medal uh, winner and world champion on the track, plus uh, I think it was the 17 Tours de France. Um, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I followed you on most of them, I think 16 of them, and um, yeah, the, the, the eternal battle for the green and of course Parabay, so it's a, an amazing career. So Stewie, welcome to the uh, to the detour. Thanks very much, Johnny, thanks for the invitation. <laughs> Always a pleasure to catch up. <laughs> so uh, we'll start with that, we, we, we uh, talk about our great partners, our sponsors who make this happen, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give them a yeah, plug right up because without them there ain't no show. And of course uh, uh, first we have Bike Exchange, which I don't know how much you know about Bike Exchange, uh, uh, Stewie, but it's become enormous. They're in eight countries around the world, over a thousand uh, uh, brands of bikes. 500,000 products, uh, 500 plus retailers, and it works when you buy from Bike Exchange. You jump on their website, bikeexchange.com.au, and you're actually buying from uh, the, the, the retailer. So it's a wonderful setup, and uh, it's become huge. And with bike sales, the way they're going around the world now, matter of fact, mm. <laughs> I went to a bike shop the other day. Uh, bumped into a, a Malcolm Hill, an old uh, uh, champion sprinter from my day. He's got a bike shop. <laughs> he had hardly a bike in the shop. And they've, they've had record sales. So bike yeah. exchange has become, if you want a bike, the only way you're going to get it these days is jump on bike exchange and they'll find one for <laughs> you. So it's, it's pretty amazing, really. And you, it's uh, fantastic, got, isn't it? They, they've got this afterpay uh, uh, service for uh, you can with, with uh, it's available for up to two thousand um, dollars. But yeah, look, it's a wonderful uh, uh, setup. Uh, the, the head office is in, in Melbourne, so I call in and see the guys in there sometimes. But as I say, they're all around the world. They got got bikes for me to use in the Tour de France last year. But uh, so they're, they're our, our uh, uh, number one partner there. And then, of course, um, we've got um, Let's Go Motorhomes. Uh, and, you know, Jerry's very involved with Let's Go Motorhomes. Um, and nearly all Jacos. Not nearly. They are definitely all Jacos, yeah. of course. Um, but uh, as I say, you can explore your own backyard. At the moment, I don't think they've got too many people coming from overseas to uh, to hire a Let's Go Motorhome, so there's probably more chance right now to get one. I'm, I'm, normally when you ring them, you've got to wait uh, a few weeks to get one, so definitely they'll be available now. So if you were going to go somewhere with a Let's Go Motorhome, Stewie, where would it be? Good question, Johnny. Uh, I love taking the kids away camping. Um, haven't done a road you know, road trip with a, with a kind of camper yet, but it's definitely on the bucket list. Um, I don't know, anywhere in my own backyard, South Australia is that big, it's got so many um, fantastic things to see, maybe a trip uh, over to KI, do a lap of Kangaroo Island with the kids, I reckon that'd be pretty cool, the mud home. Sounds like the way to go, mate, pretty expensive <laughs> on that, uh, that little boat though, but anyway, I'm sure. Nah, <laughs> cheaper, than a, cheaper than a plane to France. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get onto that in a minute, I guess. And, and our other partner is Lexus of Blackburn. So uh, if anyone's in the uh, market for a new car, and amazingly, they're, they're selling well at the moment. So, uh, mm. um, But go out to uh, Lexus of Blackburn, uh, the Moore family, lovely people, fantastic uh, showroom out there on Waterhouse Road. Uh, and uh, Stuart, you've met the, the Moore family. I took them over the Tour de France a couple of years ago. I remember uh, <laughs> uh, we caught up for a coffee, but uh, yeah, great, yep. great people. They are. It's great people and great sponsors, so thanks very much. Yeah, and it's a good thing about these partners, not only they're partners in the podcast, but they're partners in cycling. In a lot of the events we do uh, throughout the year, like the Bake Bay Crits and um, the Jake O'Hill Sun Tour, um, they're involved with, as great partners in all of those events, which is fantastic. So I'll throw the list down. I've got uh, some interesting stuff to talk to you about, Stewie, of course, because the world uh, 
has gone mad. I'll tell you how mm-hmm. crazy it is. I went for uh, the one good thing's happened out of all this. I've been back on the bike. I'm, I'm regularly <laughs> going, going for a pedal. And uh, I went out on Friday and got swooped by a damn magpie. And I thought, that oh, okay. must be August when they, end of August yeah, when they yeah. start swooping. Here we are in June and I got swooped by a magpie. And then well, I both Colling, be... Collingwood and, they, yeah. and we got done on Friday night as well. So the Maggies did hit him <laughs> twice in one day. But, uh, yeah, so cra- crazy times. But, and it is a, a, a crazy time. So um, you've taken over an amazing role now of uh, a race director of uh, the Tour Down Under, mm. an event you have got a great passion for. I think you won the first one as well. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you're taking over from, from Mike Turner, who uh, was the inaugural uh, race director and, and sort of really made it happen, I guess. So um, yeah. how have you found it so far? <laughs> well, I got the... Um keys to the new office and then the office closed just as I was about to walk in pretty much so it's been a pretty yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, I guess um, transition into to the race director role um, you know looking back we're very lucky really to get the the TDU up and going and, and actually had a race um, you know I think uh, it's probably one of the only races this year that actually got in its calendar slot so we're pretty fortunate Um you know, I've got to say, uh, I guess the one, there's been a few really good things that have actually come out of the, um, this whole COVID scenario. And one of them has been that I've actually just been able to stay home and focus on, on the job. Uh, and that's, you know, course design for 2021. Um, you know, of course, it's been pretty uh, challenging, um, had to be pretty adaptive, but I've got to say the team that in, in it, the South Australian Tourism Commission, the SATC events team, which is obviously, you know, the Tour, Tour Down Under crew have been absolutely awesome. Um, have been really helpful, you know, kind of, um, obviously it's been really disruptive for everybody, you know, not being able to go in the office and catch up, um, you know, we've been doing like everybody around the globe has, and that's a lot of this stuff, looking in the screens and having technical <laughs> issues and microphones and you're on mute and, um, you know, it's been really tricky. Um, but for my job as race director, all I'm being concerned about is is the planning and, and uh, designing a, uh, an exciting and, and entertaining course, which um, not having to trundle off to uh, jump on planes all the time and fly around the world. It's actually been really good for that. You know, I've just been home in Adelaide, um, had some great quality time with the family, which, you know, haven't had uh, as long as I've had a family, really. You know, we've always been travelling the world, so it's been really good to be home uh, and just giving the TDU race director a 100% role. I mean, it's been, um, you know, been out the roads, a lot of driving, a lot of recon, a lot of riding. Um so it's been really good for that, Johnny, to be honest. And won't you touch on one thing there, Jerry? A lot of people are uh, spending more uh, time with family and, and, and friends and reevaluating what's really important in their lives. So I, th- I suppose that's the, the biggest positive that I've seen to come out of uh, this terrible worldwide pandemic. But, uh, Stuart, yeah. with the, with, with the uh, this um, uh, terrible pandemic, uh, COVID, um, you must have had some really uh, worries about whether the racing would actually start in Europe, which we're about to, and for the survival of some of the teams. Yeah, it has been. It's been. It's been a real concern. Um, you know, no one. I mean, this is just uncharted territory. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're trying to run an event or, um, you know, simply do a normal job, uh, go to the shops or whatever. It's just you know, the footprint has touched everybody uh, globally. So. It has been really challenging and, and obviously a lot of businesses um, have, are struggling and will struggle, um, but it's been a real sink or swim kind of situation. I mean, there's a lot of, there's also a lot of businesses out there that have seen a lot of opportunity and, and you know, everyone's had to adapt um, to the surroundings and, you know, if that's a cafe that, or a restaurant that's turned into doing takeaway food or, you know, online schooling, um, we've all had to adapt. So... Look, you know, it is a concern for the teams in, in Europe. Um, you know, I know a few uh, have obviously struggled, but, you know, hopefully we can get through this and, and once the racing starts on August the 1st with Strada Bianca, obviously the first world tour, I think once 
you know, we've sat around and everyone's had so much time to sit and talk and plan and strategize and plans A to A to Z until we actually see the racing up and going and, and see how the, the actual models work, you know, what happens for the teams and the hotels to sign on to what happens if a rider crashes and has to go to a hospital, um, to what does it look like back at the hotel after anti-doping uh, press conferences um, and obviously travel, international travel. We're not, you know, we're not really going to understand how it works until it is actually up and going. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the racing um, happen and kind of just get as much feedback as we can. Uh, you know, we've got all the UCR new COVID regulations. Um, you know, there's been some really good research done from cycling federations, um, obviously pretty well connected with the Australian Olympic uh, Committee. So, um, you know, getting a lot of the stuff from what they're doing and just trying to read it all and take as much as we can and prepare ourselves the best we can for, for the future. Now, TDU is six months away, but uh, there must have been some times over the last few months, I know I've been talking to you regularly, uh, where, where you were worried whether it would even go ahead? Yeah, I, I, look, I, I've never thought like that. I think, I think we've got a plan um, positive and stay positive and, and, you know, we can't just sit around and think, oh, well, you know, the race isn't going to go ahead. Um, you know, I've been giving absolutely 100% focus, as has everybody in it. SATC, um, and like I said, with the tour down under the whole, the whole team, um, you know, no one's hesitated for a second. Everyone's been, you know, really working hard and preparing for next year because, you know, we, we have to plan and, and think like that. So, you know, if we can't kind of, I think at the moment, we're probably in one of the best cities on the planet to be actually living in. Um, you know, Adelaide, we haven't even really been in a, in a forced lockdown. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. We haven't had any cases here for, for a month. Um, and, you know, we, we can start planning. You know, we can't just keep the doors shut and uh, we can't be afraid of something um, that potentially could come here. Now everybody's prepared. I think that's the key word is that we're prepared for cases now um, and we deal with it as they come. So how do you think... Uh, how do you f foresee the uh, TDU working with bringing the Europeans out? How, how do you think it will work? Yeah, obviously, um, time will tell. I mean, obviously, we've got uh, some strategies in place, but they're changing, uh, you know, on a, on a fortnightly basis. Um, you know, today in Adelaide, we went from a four square metre rule down to two square metres. So all of a sudden, you've got twice the amount of people in restaurants twice the amount of people in indoor venues. Um, so things are changing, uh, you know, rapidly. Um, you know, there, there will be cases that come and, and that, uh, until we get a vaccine, it, it's always going to be out there. Um, but it's how do we move forward um, as best we can. Look, I think, I think the guys will go through a testing process before, obviously, once the teams are selected for who's going to travel down to Australia. Um, each team will be required to kind of look after themselves a bit. It's not up for us to kind of regulate uh, what happens inside the teams, but the teams will obviously, their doctors and medical staff will um, obviously do, you know, kind of regulated testing before anybody gets on a plane. Um, you know, that could, that could potentially be chartered flights, um, you know, from Europe. Uh, straight into South Australia where, you know, they're tested right up until they board the plane. Um, and look, you know, we're just preparing as much as we can how that looks like once they land. So, um, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how the guys even go to Strata Bianca, um, you know, what it looks like inside the hotels and, and the, the mm. kind of bubbles they um, create. But the race starts, the race, fin the race finishes. <clears throat> Got a lot of information from the ASO. Uh, over the weekend regarding how they're going to set up for the Tour de France. Uh, that's some really, really useful reading there. So, you know, as I said, once we see how the nuts and bolts actually work, um, we'll know a little bit more. Yeah, so the other thing about TDU, of course, is it's a wonderful party for, for, for all the fans from all around Australia and around the world who come to watch it. And part of that is, you know, a lot of people riding in big groups out, out of the events and street parties and all of that. I, mm. I guess you're going to have to look at how all of that is uh, is handled as well. 
Yeah, well, I mean that'll that'll obviously come from the S, um, you know, the chief health medical office in South Australia, and we're working closely with them. And but again, you know, they're they're hard at work at the moment, and as I said earlier, you know, there's so much changing on a daily basis. So, you know, we've got um, people back in stadiums uh, now. Uh, you know, yesterday we had our first um, Criterium racing with, you know, a couple of hundred guys and girls racing around Victoria Park. So things are happening. Um, and, you know, hopefully in a few months' time, things will be even better. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Now, so as you just touched on before, the season starts in a few weeks uh, in Europe. They've already had one race. They had the Slovenian Championships, which was a great race, actually. Uh, and so, um, but it's a very compact season with like virtually the whole season in three months. Uh, how do you reckon the bike, bike riders will handle that? Yeah, look, it is. It's going to be really intense. Um, you know, I think they've, you know, been in, talking to a lot of the guys actually uh, living over there and they're all obviously pumped to start racing again and pin a number on and, and get out there and do what they do best. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be a very, very condensed, intense season. It's going to be fantastic for the for the spectators all around the world watching, you know, uh, a classic every few days and a grand tour pretty much every day. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to be going to be a lot of late nights uh, sitting up watching bike racing. But um, I, look, I think that you know, I think the races will be kind of adapted to some way. I think the teams, you know, the guys will be as fit as fiddles. Um, you know, it's just planning. You know, the teams have to do a fair bit of planning and make sure they don't burn the guys out. Um, but I think they can handle it. You know, I, I think they'll be fine. They've they've had so much time. You know, the intensity levels will certainly be. Uh, you know, with all the intervals they've been doing on the home trainers. Um, but, you know, the guys are, the guys are that fit. Um, you know, they're, they're almost not human, these guys. You've got to remember the top-level top athletes, they adapt so quickly. Um, they've been training so hard. They've been working so hard. They've probably never been as fit as they are and as strong as they are um, because they haven't been in damage control, which is what we kind of call it after a big race where you come home from a weekend of, you know, a het Vulcan, a Kern, Bristol Kern, and it takes you a week to recover. These guys have just been doing really top-end uh, intervals for, for months now. So the fitness is going to be incredible. And the racing is going to be um, absolutely flat out, I think. It's going to be great to watch. <laughs> so any riders you think this actually suits, this compacted season would actually suit some more than others? Um, yeah, I, th I think Chris Froome's probably going to be the most, uh, the happiest guy out of this whole lot because, you know, he, it's given him more and more time to, to recover from his accident and, you know, where other guys were, where he even started in, I think it was Oman, he, he was, you know, getting dropped and, you know, just kind of trying to keep up. Well, now those guys haven't been able to race at that top level. Uh, I reckon probably Froome is going to come out of that pretty well yeah, um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. they've all just gone into training camps and it's all been kind of, uh, managed and they haven't been racing at that, that really high intensity. So, you know, I know Phil Gilbert's been out, um, you know, breaking Strava records up La Redoute, took 17 seconds off Bardet's time, which is no mean feat up there. So, like I said, the guys are going to be absolutely chomping at the bit. Um, I think the hardest part, actually, is going to be for the team managers to keep the riders um, under control. And by that, I mean by just not going out and wanting to destroy themselves um, yeah, you know, at every yeah. at every race, because everyone's just going to be so pumped. Um, you know, it's going to take some really good team management. And so, what about uh, what are your thoughts on that Super Sunday? Where we've got uh, uh, <coughs> Perro Bay, uh, the, the Giro <laughs> uh, finishing the Vuelta starting all, all on the one day. Well, we're going to need three TVs, aren't we? Um, <laughs> uh, look, it's going to be you know, for, like I said, from a spectator, we've also been sitting around and you know, twiddling our thumbs, uh, and you know, the moment some bike racing's on, on the broadcasting, it's going to have massive numbers. Uh, so, you know, for the sponsors, for the teams, you know, the light is at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, I know AFL is getting huge exposure, you know, in the US and, and markets where it probably wouldn't, um, you know, wouldn't get any airtime. So for, for cycling, it's going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be fantastic to see the boys and, and the girls out racing here.
Yes, we're all looking forward to that. And we're all looking forward to, to, to the summer of cycling in Australia. So the Tour de France have pitched our, uh, our logo now. They, they're talking about the summer of cycling, which, uh, <laughs> which I invented years back, but that's another story. I'll sue them. But uh, looking forward to Tour to, to Down Under. And, of course, uh, our big races here in Victoria, the national title is always great. But uh, uh, Cadell's mm. race and hopefully Sun Tour. And hopefully we can all work together and the riders can come over from your bubble to our bubble and uh, and make something special this summer. But I want to move now on to the yep. career of Stewie O'Grady going right back. And now, um, I actually raced with your dad. Um, we crossed paths a few times yep. and uh, he was a tough nut. Uh, well, nowhere near as quick as you, but he was he was just as tough as you. Uh, and so I can remember, because I knew the name and, and, and watching you, uh, your name pop up when you were just a little tacker. So tell us uh, mm. how, how the cycling started for you. Yeah, well, obviously you just got brought up around the, brought up around velodromes and, um, you know, dad raced uh, on the road and track and, and, my uncle Bob Bed, so mum's brother went to Tokyo Olympics, both Bob and Lyle, um, you know, really strong, quite fast riders. So I just got hit the right gene, gene mix, I guess. But, um, you know, cycling was just a passion from the moment I saw, you know, dad race and then obviously my big brother kind of take off down the driveway one day and come back about seven hours later. And I'm like, mate, where have you been? And he's like, where, are, where haven't I been? I've been down the beach, I've been out of the Barossa. And I guess that whole adventure... Uh, with the bikes just kind of, um, you know, got the bug. Uh, and I just wanted to push myself, whether it was doing a time trial to school every morning and, you know, trying to beat the time from the morning before um, to racing. I just, I love the freedom of bike racing and, and obviously having, you know, being able to go to Hanson Reserve and watch Mike Turter and, um, you know, all the all the, the AIS guys train in Adelaide, uh, you know, Gary Newand, um, you know, I mean, we had the best of the best at the AOS in Adelaide. So, you know, I used to meet just down the road from mum and dad's place and I'd ride over there and the next minute you're riding with the Australian Olympics. So it was pretty cool. You know, looking back, it was a pretty special little period. And, you know, every weekend I'd, I'd hop on the back of the AOS Olympic team. I mean, what, what other sport can you just go and jump on the back of the Olympic team and, and see how long you can hang in there for, you know? So... And, you know, I was pretty small and skinny back then, so I've got to say there were a few pretty chubby blokes back then. So once I kind of started going around one up Norton Summit, um, you know, I wanted to catch the next one. And it was just kind of the, the, the ultimate launching pad for a young kid. Um, and then to be able to watch them compete at night or on a Friday night at the velodrome, I almost kind of got brought up with the Australian cycling team. You know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, so, you know, went from... Um, obviously, you know, winning a couple of national titles in my first year at the juniors, uh, to, you know, second year junior, um, you know, in the Olympic squad for Barcelona. So things happened really, really quick. Oh, you mentioned before about your pride in, in, in uh, representing Australia. Uh, and I know I was lucky enough to, to go to one Olympics, but back in my day, once you turned pro, you were a dirty rotten pro and you weren't allowed to compete in the Olympics anymore. So I missed the next couple. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, so just t- take us back to some of your thoughts on, on representing Australia. Yeah, the Olympics, um, you know, was, was probably the, the greatest moments I've, I've had as, a, as an athlete was, you know, pulling on the green and gold for your country. Um, you know, it was always a dream of mine to, to go to one one games and then you know to kind of get to Barcelona as a pretty much a, you know young kid got close but not quite the gold um, that really kind of kept the, the desire burning for for a long time and um, you know obviously go then to what was it, Atlanta Sydney you know to compete in Olympic games in your home soil was pretty cool had my whole family and a lot of friends there um, didn't get the result that we're after but. Uh, you know, that, that was luckily enough going to come later and obviously rolled into Athens and with Brownie, uh, rode, you know, rode the road race and then back to Toulouse then back to Athens for the track. And, you know, finally got that, um, that gold medal I'd been chasing for pretty much my entire career. Uh, and then, you know, obviously moving into, what was it then, Beijing and London, um, you know, as the kind of team captain i guess trying to help the young blokes win a medal so just a just a great journey the olympics mean a lot to me um you know 
just the best moments, the best memories, uh, just to compete that, you know, on those one, those one race days every four years where you know that everybody on the globe's at their best. Um, and to get a result in that kind of pressure is a really cool feeling. Of course, uh, the Tour de France is the, it's so important to you, Stewie, 17 tours, and I, I followed you on 16 of them. Uh, but the one that sticks out in my mind was that great battle you had with Zabel uh, for the green jersey where, unfortunately, you actually wore it into Paris and, and, he, and he pitched it off you after, after the finish of the final <laughs> day. But that was an amazing uh, uh, battle over um, the whole three weeks. What, what do you remember mm. of that? Oh, my memories are crystal clear, Johnny. <laughs> um, yeah, look, that that was tough. You know, um, I think I, I was on the podium for nineteen out of the twenty-one days, and to not wear it on that last that last stage, especially wearing the green jersey into Paris, that that really hurt. You know, it still does. Let's be yeah. honest. I mean, you know, I, that was my one occasion, my one. You know, being what second three or four times, whatever. But that was. You know, that was an, an opportunity. Um, and look, you know, Eric was always a quicker sprinter, you know, better better sprinter than me. But, you know, I, I, I bought every cunning tactic that I had in my rule book, you know, um, attacking in mountain stages to get points. Uh, you know, I, I did everything I possibly could with what my ability gave me. And to kind of, you know, as everyone else is celebrating, as you know, on the Saturday night, in, you know, coming into Paris, you know, I was so focused, so nervous. You know, I can't even begin to explain how sore my legs were on that last stage. Um, your whole body's just absolutely wrecked. Um, while everyone else is riding around chinking glasses of champagne, you're about to do, you know, go for one of the, the, the points jersey sprints, you know, and the ASO normally put them on top of a little hill just out of Paris. So not only did you have to sprint, you had to sprint uphill. Um, and, you know, it just... It, Kind of, it, it was just tough. It was just really tough. It was hard going into that and 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 being beaten at the death. So, you know, there's not many things I kind of reflect on and go, man, I really, you know, it was a great experience. But that was one I really wish I'd won that green jersey. <laughs> and you know, I, I, I reckon I can pick the day we can just d- d- debate which one it was where you probably lost it. And that was it was about a week to go. It was a time trial in Metz. And uh, I remember I was following you in the time trial. I had your dad in the car, and you were having a pearler of a day. You were going. I remember you actually passed Zabel. You just happened to be starting one or two in front of you. You went straight past him like you were standing still. Mm. And with about five or six kilometres to go in that time trial, I think it was about 40K time trial, you looked like getting on the podium in that time trial, which would have got you a whole stack of points as well. You're going to be top five for sure. And suddenly I noticed you started to waver across the road and then you, you had a teardrop helmet on that went flying through the air. And I said, what in the heck? So what? tell everyone what happened. Uh, I rode through a swarm of bees, yeah. So got, got a bee bite. A bee went in between my, my aero helmet and my cheek and bit me on the cheek. So, you know, didn't know what the rules were, but didn't really care. I'm allergic to bees. So I just peeled the helmet off and threw that. Into the into the crowd <laughs> or somewhere. Uh, at the same time, copped another bee bite right right on my on my thigh. So um, yeah, uh, Zabo actually started five minutes ahead of me. Uh, I do remember going past him at about ninety k an hour on a big downhill on a big dipper, um, and thinking, yeah, it was just I was just on a good day and I was so so yeah. fired up. Um, mm. And yet, yeah, you again, usually you don't waste energy in a time trial, you know, as a sprinter, but. I was just on. I was just so focused on doing everything I could. I knew Zabel would be sitting up and having a trying to just roll through the next sprint. And in my my back of my mind, I went, "Rightio, this is an opportunity." You know, even if I get one point, it could be the difference. Um, and yeah, it wasn't a good one. Well, I don't know about top five, but certainly top ten. And um, yeah, in the end, got bitten by bees and had a big fat cheek to uh, go up and get my green jersey with. Yes, and you have a bit of an allergy to uh, to that as well, which uh, backfired on you for the next couple of days because you couldn't take any antihistamines. So it actually knocked yeah. you around for, for probably two or three days. So I, I have no doubt that cost you quite a few points. Yeah, I'm sure it did. And, you know, it, of course, it is what it is. And I hate that saying as much as anybody now. But 
Um, you know, you couldn't take cortisone. Um, you couldn't do a normal, whatever normal things were to, to I guess, um, relieve any of those kind of issues. So you just had to yeah. soldier on. And the other one that uh, stands out in my memory was uh, was London. I, I saw they, they replayed that on uh, SBS just the other night on that great uh, second stage that Robbie won into yeah. stage one into Canterbury. But the night the day before, of course, was the prologue uh, time trial, and you were on a bit of a blinder on that one too. You're looking a really good ride, and at the last corner, you managed to overcook yeah. and, and lay it down. <laughs> Well, the funny, but the funny part for me was I was ghosting a column for you in uh, in Cycling News, and I couldn't co- contact you to to do your first column because you were in hospital. You didn't get out until uh, early hours. I remember ringing the team, and they said, "No, no, he will be starting. He's uh, he's a bit sore. He's okay." So I had to write a column pretending I was Stuart O'Grady, saying, "Oh, you know, I was going too hard into the corner and just overcooked it." And I said, in the, in the legendary words of, Leon, uh, of Leonard Cohen, aching in places where I used to play, which is a, a line out of one of his great songs. I remember you saying the next day, because I quoted you as saying that, who's Leonard Cohen? <laughs> and you yeah. become a fan now, mate. <laughs> yeah. No, that was another, you know, that was another crazy day. I mean, obviously rooming with Fabian and watching his whole <clears throat> preparation and build up. And I, I think... I can't remember. For some reason, we really wanted to try and win the best uh, best team on that day. Can't remember really the tactic behind it. Might have been a you know a sponsor had a um, uh, you know one of the head offices in London or something. So you know normally you kind of have a crack at the prologue. I think everybody does. You know it's hard not to. Um, but that day I really went right. I'm going to absolutely give this a red hot crack. And yeah, I think I was um, a second quicker, or a second one second fastest at the the halfway point, and, and you know saw that obviously getting you know a head full of Bjorn Reese screaming in the radio. You know you're on a good one, and and I guess what people uh, tend to forget is when you're on those those kind of moments, we'll call them, you are absolutely on the limit. You know the crowds. It's it's hard to see where the corners are going if it's left or right. How tight it is. Um, the, the noise is just phenomenal and yeah, you, you're pushing yourself to the limit and yeah, just coming out of that corner, just tried to, I remember trying to just get on the pedals as quick as possible and my back wheel actually clipped a hay bale on the right as I'm turning left and just clicked my foot out and into the disc and next minute I'm sliding on my ass down the road. So it all happened that quick. Um, and that was a real bummer. That one I probably would have finished, uh, you know, let's say top five. Um, well, it's the what ifs, eh? <laughs> it would have been amazing if we did all the what ifs. Hey, I'd call you if he said No, that was a real bummer because, yeah, it would have been, would have been nice just to, you know, be in the top whatever in a prologue. Um, but yeah, just another. It turned another out to be a, a, a bummer of a tour because that same tour was the one you had, without doubt, your worst crash. Uh, I can't remember what stage now, yeah. about, about a week and a half in. And um, I think it was just coming up to the second rest day. Uh, and you uh, crashed out. And we lost three Aussies on the one day, as it turned out. But you were a bit of a mess. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you know, obviously 2007, I was probably, you know, in the form of my life, similar to obviously winning Roubaix and just having that confidence kind of coming into the big big tours and, um you know, we were really confident coming into the tour that we were going to try and win the overall. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, was, I climbed really well, which is what got me in trouble in the first place. I actually went over the corner to Roseland in the first 30. You know, there are only 30 of us left at the top, myself and um, I think Carlos and probably the Schleck. So all of a sudden I'm getting bottles for guys over the top of a mountain, which wasn't really my domain. So, you know, next minute again. Uh, got taken out on the downhill doing about 90k an hour, hit the pole. Um, yeah, lucky to be here, I guess, uh, looking back. But, you know, that that was a big one. That was a nasty one for sure. Um, yeah, the, the pain, you, you just, you can't explain. You know, obviously hitting that pole at high speed just exploded everything. And, you know, that was the eight ribs, the three vertebrae, both collarbones, both shoulder blades, punctured lung, fractured skull. I mean, that was the works burger. And, you know, I can't even remember being in hospital for the first three days. Anne-Marie was obviously heavily pregnant and at the time, and I can't remember her being there. Um, but, yeah, that took, a, that took a 
few weeks to get over that one. I remember going in there and uh, the, the 60 Minutes crew, Australian 60 Minutes crew, were <laughs> sort of parked outside and I had to sort of wangle away in for, for, for them. And um, Liz Hayes uh, interviewed you. I remember sort of standing in the background and she was actually in tears uh, uh, yeah. talking to you. And you were, oh, I'll be all right, I'll be okay, sort of you was coupling it out, out. But it was, uh, yeah, pr- a pretty horrific time. Well, I, rem- but, I remember. Uh, I remember. I remember Kim Anderson came in just to see me, and, and you know, like I was, you know, obviously the world was a blur. But I, I just had this, I this mentality, and I, I've had it through my career, I guess, my life that it doesn't. It's good to set goals, even if they're unrealistic. So you know, to see Kim, to you know, he's like, you'll be fine. You know, get you back out there, hopefully next year. And I went, well, just put me down for the worlds. You know, and and I knew that was unrealistic. I knew it wasn't going to happen. But for me, lying in bed at that time, it gave me some kind of something to focus on. You know, it was a few months away. You know, I'll be out of, I'll be in hospital for a few weeks. You know, back on the bike, and it's just kind of, I found it better to kind of set an unrealistic goal than just to sit there and go, oh my god, you know, life's over, my career's done, um, this really hurts. You know, just kind of just put a little bit of a spin on it at least, and. Yeah, it was, you know, those times are pretty tough. So we moved to the 2011 uh, Tour de France, which was uh, when Cadell finally became the first uh, Aussie to, to, and the only Aussie to, to win a Tour de France. But of course, you were looking at it quite differently because uh, you were team captain uh, in, in with the Slicks. So what's yeah. it like to be actually in there trying to orchestrate uh, um, tactics against uh, our, our Aussie hero? <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, oh, look, you know, Cadell was just another competitor. Um, and, and that's how, you know, we, we looked at each other. We're all trying to do our job and we all get paid uh, well to do that job. So, um, you know, as much as I loved and I was one of the first to congr- congratulate Cadell, obviously, after he pulled it off. But, you know, our job or my job was to try and get Andy to win the Tour de France. So, um, you know, when you're surrounded by a bunch of guys that you spend – I don't know, 200 days a year traveling with, um, you know, hotels, you know, suffering, winning, I guess, experiencing life together. Um, it's Again, it's those rare occasions where you're actually working together. Everything's just been a building block to, you know, to the tour. We get there, everyone's on great form. Um, yeah, we had to come up with some ways to, to try and win the tour and win the tour, meet you know, meant at that time trying to um, beat Cadell, which was not an easy, an easy thing to do. So there was a couple of stages where, you know, we did some pretty crazy tactics, um, which worked out for Andy's stage win. I think that'll, you know, be remembered for a very long time. Um, you know, did he the do Galibier, that? Galibier, that yeah. was just amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, <clears throat> we both came up with that in the back of the bus, you know, as soon as we got the, the team, um, the road book, uh, the race road book at the start of the tour was sitting in the back of the bus and went, mate, it's, this is a cracker, you know. And if we go one mountain earlier and when no one will be expecting it, you know, this is a one of those occasions. And and so and to kind of have those plans and strategies and then get everybody in the team bus to actually agree, which is not an easy option, for Bjorn to give it the, you know, the tick of approval and, and everybody else on the team, um, you know, then for him to go on and win the stage, you know, it was one of those really cool moments where you, you work hard at something and it actually comes off. Um, you know, a few people questioned whether or not that affected his time trial, um, you know, the next day. Well, of course it did. But he was never going to beat Cadell in a time trial, you know. And I think we all knew that. So instead of uh, waiting for a, you know, a Carlos Sustre miracle where, you know, Carlos obviously um, held on, we knew that Andy just wasn't that strong in the TT. So, um, you know, it was a bit of a – it was an opportunity to do something special. Uh, and and I guess for Andy's sake, hope that Cadell had a bad day, but he was way too strong and that was never going to happen. Those those two days before the time trial, the two days where we both had the Galibia, we went up it one way and then the next day <laughs> up it again and then uh, yeah. finished on, on up to airs. They were two – Amazing days. And I remember we were all up at Alpe d'Huez 
that night. So it's a, two nights to go. It's the night before the, 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 the penultimate time trial. And I was walking down with a few mates and there was the whole Slack family celebrating. I remember it really well. And his father was out in the balcony and relations and they're all uh, ha- having a great time. And I remember calling you. And I didn't realise you were sharing a room with Andy Slinger. I remember calling you and leaving a message saying, will you guys celebrate tonight? We'll celebrate tomorrow night. <laughs> and I remember only like five minutes later, the phone rang and was your name. And I said, oh, good day, Stewie. And he said, no, it's Andy. Get stuffed. <laughs> 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 I'm going to laugh. That was, that was very, very good. But I was really impressed with both the Schlecks the way they handled the loss. You know, they finished both on the podium, mm. sec- second and third in the Tour de France for two brothers, which was yeah. amazing. But the way yeah. they uh, uh, congratulated Cadell uh, was pretty special, really. Yeah, look, I think, you know, they're great guys and they're such down-to-earth um, blokes and really tight-knit family. And, you know, I spent a couple of years up in Luxembourg living just up the road from them and, and they're such a, just a tight family and, you know, their their whole life was the bike and they knew what they were good at and I think they were realistic about what they weren't great at. Uh, neither of them were good at time trials, but, you know, through Bjarn and through the, the environment and, you know, Fabian giving them tips and all of us kind of chipping in, they, they got probably a better result than what they ever could have. So I think they were grateful for, for the opportunities that, that were given to them. Um, and, you know, they they knew that Cadell was going to be you know stronger than the time trial, like I just said. So there was never any real um, how do you say real you know disappointment. Of course you're disappointed, but Andy wasn't expecting to win that time trial or, or really beat Cadell. So um, you know there are other opportunities where he could have gained time in the mountains, which was his domain, and that didn't happen. So they're very realistic about things, which is good. So now we're going to touch on uh, uh, Paris Bay, which is also uh, one of your um, challenges in, in life, an event you really love. Uh, so tell, tell us about what it was like at Paris Bay, rooming with, with, with Fabian, and of course the amazing uh, one that you that, that you ended up taking it out. Yeah, I mean Roubaix, you know, uh, Roubaix's always been special to me and I guess that was because I was involved you know from day one with, with Gann and Roger Leger and which had Duclos LaSalle on the team which had just won two editions of Roubaix so you know coming into that environment where that was the most important race on the on the calendar um, you know and I already had you know I was already aware of it I already was kind of I guess um you know, I, I wanted to find out what all the fuss was about. You know, you kind of, it was one of the only shows in the world, one of the cycling shows that got any airtime in Australia, you know, Wild World of Sports, and they'd show, you know, a Sunday in hell and guys crashing on cobbles and the adventure and the, I guess, the theatre behind it. Um, so it always was, you know, intriguing to me. And for some reason, it just really attracted me. Like, I wanted to have a crack at it. Didn't know if I'd be any good or not, but... You know, it didn't seem to matter. I just wanted to get there and have a go. And, you know, from you either love Roubaix or you hate it. And, you know, even though I didn't finish my first edition, um, I fell in love with that race. You know, it was just a challenge. And I've been – I was looking for challenges my entire career. And, you know, whether that was the track, whether that was in Mexico doing 300K rides, the challenge was let's try and get to Roubaix. And for it not to happen on the year one, I think that kind of – you know, that kicked me in the guts. And then I'm like, Rodeo, this is, this thing is, this is a beast of an event. Uh, <laughs> and I think that, that, but that's the attraction for the guys that, that like it. And you just keep coming back and, you know, fingers crossed, you know, that you're going to have a cracking day. And, you know, I think I had 15 or 16 goes at it and, you know, uh, got a first and a fifth. The rest I was, you know, barely in the results sheet. So, you know, you, you, you can be the strongest guy. You can be the strongest guy on the day and, and finish last. Um, but, you know, every dog has his day and you just got to – it's that resilience, that um, mind over matter. Obviously, being in the right environment, um, you know, I knew that moving from Credit Agricole or Cofidis to a, to a major team would – you know, if I was to win one of those big classics, I had to be in a team where it could happen. Uh, with or without me, and that team was was CSC. 
uh, and there was probably four guys in that team that could have won. Um, you know, it's like a like an AFL team. The the better guys around you, uh, the more obviously the more chances of you are winning the big prize. So a lot of things fell in my favour that day. Uh, but having a great team, um, you know, having Fabian give me the all clear to go ahead and have a crack. Um, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. And yeah, I mean, for sure, that was uh, the highlight of my career. Um, was winning that day. I think it was a highlight for, for for a lot of us. It was pretty special because you're I mean you're up the road in a big breakaway. Then you're punctured. You're back in the main group. You're actually, uh, I think, punctured again. You're behind the main group. You come back up. Hmm. Fabian wasn't feeling so good. Said you go for it, and away you went, and you you ended up going back up to the break. It was just staggering, really. It sounds so easy when you say it like that, John. <laughs> <laughs> So now I just thought we'd touch on, uh, um, you mentioned how special that team was. You know, Bjarne Reese, a great leader, CSC, all those wonderful teammates, especially your relationship with Fabian and both the Slicks. And then suddenly Jerry Ryan start, decides to start up an Australian team, Green Edge, and they throw out the, uh, the offer to you. It must have been really tough to make that decision uh, to, to, to leave uh, um, CSC. Well, I was leaving Leopard, so yeah, it was it was probably one of the, the toughest decisions of my career because I'd literally just moved the whole family to Luxembourg. We bought a place there. You know, as far as I was concerned, I was finishing off my career in in Luxembourg, uh, which was a beautiful place. You know, surrounded by the the Schlecks, and it's where Leopard Trek Base was. So you know, I was visioning a job there after you know I'd, I'd hung up the the wheels and you know kind of settling in. So. And I will definitely never forget the day because it was my birthday and I had the Schlecks around for a barbecue um, when Jerry called. So uh, to have both the brothers downstairs, um, you know, kind of waiting for me to come off his phone call and then going back down, they could see straight away something, you know, wasn't right. And I said, look, guys, that was uh, Jerry Ryan. He wants me to come part of this Australian project. And, with you know, I thought they'd throw the drink in my face. But... They were like, no, we, we get that because that's exactly what they've just done with Leopard Trek. You know, they we'd we'd all kind of left CSC together and um and went to Leopard because that's, that's exactly right. the the opportunity that the Schlecks had been given with their home. You know, having a home um, a Luxembourg team, so they got that. Um, and at first, I actually told Jerry, no, I was pretty, you know, thank you very much, but I'm, you know, at the end of my career, I've um. I really had some great moments with these guys and, you know, we're number one team in the world. Uh, you know, why would you leave kind of thing? But as I guess as the days ticked over, all I could think about was the tour down under, uh, the team presentation and having, you know, me being in Leopard Trek walking up and then hopping off and then the Australian team being presented. And I went, yeah, no, this just doesn't feel right. I have to be, I have to be in that Australian team. So, um, yeah. We, we found a way to do make that happen. And, um, yeah, again, it was just a, an incredibly privileged and honoured time of my career to be able to, you know, join Jerry, which, you know, Jerry is one of the best people I've ever met in my life. You know, he's so generous. Um, you know, without Jerry, Australian cycling wouldn't exist, yet alone Mitchell and Scott. So, um you know, I had a lot of huge amount of respect for Jerry and everything he's done for our sport, and that also played into my decision making. Uh, you know, it was time for me to not hang hang up the wheels in a really proactive way and show all these. You know, I guess pass on my seventeen or sixteen years of experience to that team, and and I guess really try and help be be a part of something special. And and yeah, it was a, a really really glad I made that choice, but. Um, you know, Gero, having guys like Gero, obviously, you know, win the Nationals, win the Tour Down Under, you know, win-win, go to Europe, um, bang, pulls off Milan San Remo, you know. It, the hits just kept on coming and, and the team just, it just bonded, you know, this, all of a sudden, we didn't know if we are going to look like a bunch of clowns, you know, coming over to Europe for the first time. It was a bunch of almost misfits, um, you know, sprinters, one-day riders, different countries you know we'd never been together as a group before and and it was pretty kind of it was very anxious times heading over to Europe 
Um, and then Buddy Guerra goes and wins Milan San Remo. So all of a sudden, we had we had the respect to the entire peloton, and and things just never they never stop, and they still haven't. It was an amazing win too because he, he pipped uh, your mate uh, Fabian, <laughs> who looked who was just so strong on that descent. He was almost riding away from them on the descent. Gero was having to bury himself back on the wheel after every corner, but he just managed to to stay there yeah. and, and flick him at the end. And it was look, I, I was lucky enough to be over for for the tours and a couple of those Giro's and and uh, I remember 2012, Gossi was going so close. He was second, third, and that, but he just couldn't get that stage win. Uh, but then 2013, it all changed. Firstly, mm. with the bus getting stuck underneath the uh, finish uh, yeah. banner, which <laughs> made world headlines. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Gero uh, winning the stage, beating Sagan, and then uh, the team time trial uh, in Nice, where you, where you guys mm. uh, got the yellow jersey. It was pretty amazing stuff, amazing stuff, yeah. Yeah, and, so and I, think, course, I think, I think, yeah, just kind of, you know, that that team's time trial in Nice. I mean, that that was that again. That's it's hard to pick moments in your career where you go, oh, that was the best, or you know, Roubaix was the best, or the Olympics was the best. That because each year, you know, is a new challenge. You're a year older. Um, obviously, things are changing around you. You know, to to pull off that team's time trial um, as we did. That was a huge moment, you know, for for not only Australian cycling and, you know, Jerry was there and had a bunch of um, VIPs there and family there, but that was, a, that was a pretty massive, monumental even, occasion for that team. You know, we, we were on a mission and that was just pure grit and mind over matter, um, you know, to win by, you know, I think it was 0.8 of a second or something, uh, you know, beat the strongest team in the world at that that kind of uh, event was was just such a massive moment. It was a really cool way, and and for me personally, you know, to be forty years old and standing on top of the podium again doesn't get much bloody better, to be honest. Yeah, no, it was an amazing day, and of course, uh, Green Edge. Everyone's going to be saying, "Well, what's the future with Green Edge?" Everyone's asking the question. So, I'm actually next week we're interviewing. We're going to our podcast is with Jerry. And we'll go into more detail. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a bit, uh, it's been a bit strange with some of the headlines that have gone into the papers over the last few weeks. But the problem trying to do a, a, a deal with a sponsor who's interested in buying you over Zoom without being with, with this pandemic, it changes everything. So, there were misunderstandings and that. So, we're going to clear all that. Uh, at next week with, with Jerry. So, we won't go into okay. it now. It'll be great. <laughs> um, so you you talking to you you've handled the transition into uh, uh, from cyclist uh, uh, to businessman uh, uh, to entrepreneur pretty well, <laughs> but it, it is a challenge for a lot of people. So uh, how did you find it at first? Oh, you know, incredibly hard. Absolutely, you know. From I mean, I remember um, you know just not finishing the Tour de France, um, you know, obviously the circumstances surrounding it were, were pretty hard as well and, and very different uh, and challenging in its own sense. So I just, I think just from being around um, a highly focused, driven bunch of people for your entire life, you know, since I was 16 and part of the AIS right through to, you know, 40 years of age and uh, my last Tour de France, you know, looking back, you're constantly surrounded by people pushing themselves to get the best out of everybody. You know, you're surrounded by the best mechanics, the best managers, the best riders in the world, the best masseurs. Um, you know, to kind of just step out of that, and I will call it a bubble because it is a bubble, to step out of that and just bang, you're just home. You know, um, it was a massive change uh and you know you can kind of i guess relate it to the military you know where guys come out of the military and and they they find themselves a little bit lost and um you know there's a lot of uh, similarities between the military and, and top level sport because you know you, you've got a routine you wake up you have your coffee it doesn't matter if it's christmas day or any day of the year you get up you have your coffee and your breakfast you put on your bike kit and you ride and you smash yourself and you do a certain routine and, and you get rewarded for that. Maybe not personally, but a part of that reward is 
going to a race and, and being a part of a team environment, having strategies, tactics, um, and then, you know, win or lose, you, you go home and go, okay, that was, that was cool. That was, you know, gave it everything. And then you, you kind of, all of a sudden you're in normal life and, and things are very different. You know, people, not everybody, I guess I picked this up early on uh, in retirement, not everybody wants to push himself. Not everybody wants to hurt himself. Most people are happy being average. You know, they're happy with that. And even for that, it's, it's a lot to kind of take in. So, look, you know, I had my eyes um, on a few goals and we came down to Adelaide and, you know, it was just great to be around the family and, and settle everyone in. And, um, you know, obviously I always dreamed of, of working, you know, with Mike Turter and um, kind of th- this role made sense, you know, in my home, uh, my home roads to, to kind of, I guess try and bring all the experiences that I've uh, learnt in Europe uh, to the Tour Down Under. So I was very happy when this came through and, um, you know, just really pumped to be a part of the team and um, hopefully, you know, just excited to take the race into the future. Well, you don't like being average and you, and, and you can't do an average performance here because you have really <laughs> – to have your first year as a race director – uh, and then the pandemic to land. It really is uh, going <laughs> to test you all the way, but you're doing a fantastic job, yeah. mate. But also, with this pandemic, uh, mental health has become uh, a real issue for sports people everywhere uh, and not mm. to, uh, and just the general public at the moment with the pandemics affecting a lot of people. Um, have you seen uh, uh, much of that from, from, your, from your angle? Um, oh, look, I think... Obviously, mental health in sports been you know been pretty well um, publicised, uh, especially through Australian media with the football codes and uh, even cricket codes. So, um, you know, it, it is a big issue. It's a major issue, um, and not just in sport, but in social life as well and everyday life. So, I think um, you know this whole COVID pandemic's been is going to be an incredible challenge for the for those athletes that were were, you know, hoping to be in on the Tour de France start line, you know, supposed to be watching stage three tonight, I believe. So, you know, um, and, you know, with, with the Tokyo Olympics coming up, you know, it, it must be incredibly hard for those guys and girls to, to refocus and same for the guys racing. You know, I think as touched on at the start of this chat, you know, it's going to be a real challenge for the team managers to manage their riders in an efficient way where they don't just go out the guns, all guns blasting in the first few races and literally just kill themselves. And that, and that's also with training. You know, the guys have been cooped up in, um, you know, the boys have been earning millions of euros living in small apartments. Um, you know, at least in Australia we've got backyards and we've never really been in, in the, the lockdown that Europe had. So none of us can really imagine what those guys went through. It must have been horrific. Um, you know, for people that love the outdoors and, hurting themselves and, you know, pushing themselves and, you know, fresh air and, you know, to be cooped up inside an apartment or training on a balcony, um, it's not good for anybody. Uh, so just really happy that, you know, the, the everything's getting back to normal and um, hopefully they've all been managed. They've all got great teams around them, great support networks. Um, so... Yeah, it, it's obviously going to be challenging times, but, um, you know, onwards and upwards, the light, light's at the end of the tunnel and just really looking forward to um, TDU and, you know, the cycling season of 2021. Yes, well, uh, that's exactly right, mate. And I'm not looking forward to July at all. This will be the first uh, <laughs> July. Uh, Kay's just reminded me that I've been uh, in Australia for 20-something years because I was uh, whinging about the cold. You said, yeah, well, wait till July. <laughs> oh, okay, I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I've got some questions that have come through from uh, Bike Exchange uh, uh, customers and patrons. They've, they've uh, fired off some questions for you, Stewie. Okay. So the first one is, uh, what have you done with your Commonwealth and Olympic uh, medals? Oh, yeah, um, I should actually get them out of a little box they're stuffed away in. Um Com Games one, actually not sure where they are. Um, I can't find the gold one, but the Olympic medals are uh, tucked away. But I'm working on something pretty cool to have them displayed at home. Um, kind of sick of having them 
you know, there's no point having those things hidden away. So I'm just trying to do something a little bit, come up with something, create something a little bit cooler than just the old frame with the metal. Um, uh, working on that at the moment. But yeah, they're just in my cupboard, to be honest. <laughs> well, Not I've, only exciting, got, is I've it? only got one hiding, <laughs> one, one metal. Mine was hidden away well. A Commonwealth Games brought the metal, but it's hidden that well. I can't find it. I haven't found it in 20 years. <laughs> so there you go. Now, um, that was from uh, Merrick, 74. I don't know whether he is 74 or whatever. Uh, I but... have got the, the only trophy I have got on display, which I'm allowed to have on display, is the, the, the rock, obviously. So yeah. uh, <laughs> it's got quite a place when you walk in the front door. So you give, a little, yeah. give a little rub or put your hat on it or do whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> now, Ferdium. Uh, 30... Ferdium has asked, uh, who's the strongest leader um, that you ever had? So I don't know whether they mean sports director or, or leader in a, in a bike. So give us both, uh, the sports director and rider. Yeah, I think, well, you know, for me, that's pretty easy. Bjorn Reese was the best um, leader from, you know, team director kind of role. Um, you know, there weren't many team directors he worked with who'd actually won a Tour de France. So, you know, he'd, he'd go and do a bunch of intervals and then, you know, come to the next training camp and say, okay, we're going to do this interval. And, you know, as I do, you know, what, why, why are we going to do that? Oh, you know, I tested it on myself for the last month and it's really brought my form up. Yeah, yeah okay, right. So, you know, Bjarne was just <laughs> one of those guys which led by example um, and he just knew how to get the absolute best out of each person uh, in that team. And, and, yeah, we had some amazing success with Bjarne. Um, and rider leader, oh, you know, it's. It, I guess it is hard to go past Fabian. Um, you know, you, you pretty much he delivered. You know, he delivered constantly. So, um, you know, one year he won the Tour of Switzerland for God's sake. You know, like massive mountain stages and and just obliterated it. So he was he was also really good at getting you know getting the best out of the boys around him and, and um, yeah had a lot of fun along the way. So. Bjorn and Fabian. Okay. So now we've got one from the Sober Cowboy who uh, <laughs> like asked you to uh, talk about factor bikes. Uh, how do they compare with the uh, other bikes you've raced on? Oh, yeah, they're, they're pretty nice. I've got to say that. They're, um, it's a, certainly, you know, th there's a fair bit that's changed in the bikes. Uh, most of it's the gears and uh, obviously the disc brakes have come into play. I'm, I'm still not a big fan of the disc brakes. I think... You know, I used to love a good downhill uh, when I was racing. It was probably my favourite thing. It's the thing I miss the most is going really fast. Um, and I didn't need disc brakes back then. So, I, you know, I, I definitely don't go anywhere near fast enough these days to need a disc <laughs> brake to slow me down. But, um, no, the fact is a great bike. Absolutely beautiful. I just got a new one uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, absolutely beautiful bike to ride. No, happy. Very happy. And from the same, from the Sober Cowboy, and he says, do, do you feel the modern bikes are a massive disadvantage or a massive advantage over the bikes like what, when you uh, won Robay? Uh, not really, to be honest. No, I think it's all about the person that's pushing the pedals. I think, um, you know, we've got all this technology. I mean, you know, the big companies have to continually keep coming up with changes to create more sales. I think, you know, a good, a good bike with a good pair of wheels and, uh, a really big set of lungs and a big heart uh, go a long way. Um, you know, I love all the new bikes and, um, you know, the new technology. But at the end of the day, uh, it's it's the, the race and the person on it which decides. Well, Stewie, well, thank you very much, mate. It was absolutely brilliant to, to, to catch up with you again and have this podcast. And I'll tell you what. I've learned some things from that today too. So uh, <laughs> pretty amazing. Uh, thanks, Johnny. <laughs> I'd like to thank again our, our, our great sponsors, Bike Exchange. So uh, if you want to go and get a factor bike or any bike, you get on the Bike Exchange and uh, 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 .com.au and look it up. You can get anything, any bike part, any bike anywhere in the world. And of course, well, um, sorry, mate. Well, yeah. we look forward to having, um, you know, our borders are definitely open over here in South Australia and, and seeing that. We probably live in the best place in the world right now. We can't wait to have, have everybody, uh, you know, over here in Adelaide in January and we'll welcome everybody back to the best race in Australia.
Well, our premier doesn't agree. It doesn't agree with you, but anyone. Well, he doesn't have to come. <laughs> anyone wants to hire a Let's Go Motorhome? Of course, what a beautiful place to go uh, up in the Barossa or uh, McLaren Vale. Um, we, you've got a great circuit around the uh, gravel circuit uh, in the back roads of McLaren Vale, which you've taken me around. So I would uh, uh, um, tell anyone who can to, to get there, and of course. If you're looking for something to tow that Jayco caravan over there, well, go and get a Lexus in Brighton and you can't go wrong. So uh, <laughs> th th thanks heaps for uh, uh, Dan uh, as well. We're in the background, we've got Dan, the producer, putting, as, as usual, doing a great job. So thanks, mate. And Stewie, I'm sure when the borders open, we'll, we'll catch up again. Sounds good. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.